Welcome to the London Welsh Rugby Club podcast. This is episode 13. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Ruth and Paula. Great to hear their enthusiasm for playing continues and they both must be targeting the 20-year landmark of playing for the club. It is now very apparent that a lot of listeners are exploring the previous episodes that we have recorded, so please keep telling our members and friends of the club about this podcast, as we now have a bank of 13 episodes for them to listen to on their summer holidays. This week, we do really have a legend of the club who breaks his podcasting silence to talk to us, and that is Gordon Ross. This interview was recorded three weeks ago, so there's no mention of Jamie Roberts signing for the Dragons. But nonetheless, you get to hear from an international rugby player who loved his time at the club and is making headways in his coaching career. Enjoy. Welcome to the pod, former Scottish international, London Welsh fight half and current Newport Gwent Dragons backs coach, Gordon Ross. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, uh, Gareth. Um, yourself? Yes, um, very well, thank you. So how have you, you and the family been in lockdown? It's been interesting. It was probably the first time we spent so much time in the household together, which has been challenging. Homeschooling took a, took a week or two to get used to, but once we realised that the kids weren't enjoying it as much as we were, then uh, we managed to find good things to break it down. We're very fortunate where we stay. We've got a nice country park nearby, so for four weeks, we were there every day getting some exercise and some fresh air, and the kids loved that. And If it wasn't for the good weather, it would have made it even more difficult, so I'm glad we're, we're getting towards the end of it, hopefully. Yeah, fingers crossed. So you said you had to balance homeschooling, but with your with your rugby commitments, obviously the, the players had to have probably had you know, um, opportunities to, to keep fit and programs to keep fit. But as a, as a coach, you know what what was a coach doing during lockdown like in terms of their work? Because you didn't have any players to coach, did you really? No, we were we were all furlonged, so we didn't do too much work. We weren't required to do too very much. I was still at Worcester Warriors at the time, so I had a pool of about twelve academy backs. So every week I would send them a game with some questions to watch to help their game understanding and ways to improve their game. And we'd have feedback on that and catch up every 10 days, two weeks over the phone. And that was about it really. And I tried to watch some rugby games when I had the chance, but there were long days with two kids full of energy with nowhere to go. There wasn't really uh, much scope to do too much else. Yeah, I sympathise. You'd be pulling your hair out if you if you had any. So, um, but um, but look, look. Did you manage to get any, any coaching done at Worcester um, post the lockdown before no, you, your, your next move? No, no, no. Sadly, not. So I've not had a proper chance yet to say farewell to some people there that I built good rapports with and and really like and became good friends with. Sadly, but hopefully over the next um, few weeks we're going to get that opportunity. It's a fantastic club. Uh, Worcester Warriors with, with some good people in there and, and some excellent young players coming through as well So how did the move come about Gordon because obviously you, you've been in the premiership with Worcester for four or five years now um, yes how you know who, who approached you because uh, they've, they've got a new coaching setup for the last sort of 12 months haven't they, with Dean Ryan in charge yes that's right Dean's been there for, for just over a year now and, and he's done a great job and 
I got approached, an agent that I know approached me and, and said there might be opportunities and then I, I still had a bit of time left in my Oyster contract. I want to go into senior coaching and, and get back into that that I really enjoyed when I was at London Welsh. And, and Worcester Warriors were great. Um, they knew that I wanted to go into senior coaching. They understood that if an opportunity came up, they'd support me all the way and they've been fantastic. So I can't thank Alan Solomon enough for that um, and releasing me early from from my contract at Worcester. And, and since the 1st of July, it's, it's been down to Newport a couple of times a week. Social distancing coaching has been quite difficult in groups of four to six in the rain, long days, but it's been a great opportunity for me to get to know the players. And I suppose, you know, we're hearing lots of rumours of players coming to Newport Grand Dragons, and I don't expect you to to comment on those rumours, but th- those who are already signed, there's quite a back line you've got there, and it's going to be quite exciting, because you you're going to be the backs coach, yeah? is that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah, I'll, I'll be in charge of looking after the back, so... No, it's been good, and uh, Jonah Holmes, of course, played scrum yeah. half for London Welsh yeah. in the first ever Premiership game against Leicester Tigers. Um, so he, he's very lively and done some good things. And Nick Tonkins has done extremely well for Saracens over the last few years, years and played with Wales and the Six Nations. And these guys have come in and made a big impact on the group already, which is really exciting news for for the squad and also everyone else around the club. No, definitely. And you can have, like, next season, you'll have Champions Cup action at some point. I don't know when. Um, and also, you've got rumours of more players coming. But as I said, we, we can't do that, talk about that, really. But, um, you know, the Pro 14 has finished, but there's going to be some friendlies that are not too distant future. Am I right in thinking that? That's right. We've got two derbies against Ospreys and the Scarlets. Um, and then two weeks after that, Dragons are still involved in the Challenge Cup and we play Bristol away in the quarterfinals in the middle of September uh, down at uh, Ashton Gate. So that'll be something to look forward to. So they've got some pretty good competition games coming up and then the beginning of October, we'll hopefully get back into the Pro 14s kicking off again for next season. Oh, so that could kick off when the internationals, because obviously there's lots of talk about internationals being on in October, November, isn't there? So the Pro 14 could, could kick off before that then really? That's right, yeah, the plan is, I think, October the 3rd, I think, is, is the date they're hoping to kick off from then, the season will start from, and then we can move forward from there. OK, and uh, are you considering moving to Wales with a family and taking Welsh lessons? Um, I do get some Welsh lessons off Meth and Davies, uh, who I work with at Worcester, but at the moment I'll, I'll stay in Worcester. I've got a young family, my boy's just started primary school, he's very happy there. Um, my, my wife works in Birmingham two, a couple of days a week so she'll still commute so at the moment we'll stay in Worcester but you never know with rugby what happens so uh, I'm now getting used to that road so I'll make the most of it at the moment whilst it's nice and light it'll be a different story come November, December I'm sure Well once a week you'll be able to listen to the London Welsh Rugby Club podcast just to, just to um, keep you awake on those long journeys back to, back to Birmingham won't you? The journey will fly by with that yeah definitely <laughs> Um, so it's really, you know, we, we like to uh, get to understand um, some of the, the journeys the players have made in their careers, really, um, and where, you know, wh- why they've moved to certain clubs, you know, their upbringing around rugby. So, because when you're in, you know, where in Scotland were you from, and you know, what clubs did you play for as, as a young lad? I was from the posh part of Scotland, from Edinburgh, and as a young five, six-year-old, I got taken to the local rugby club, which was Royal High where my dad had played previously and my uncle 
sadly, after about two years of being there, they moved premises to the, the other side of the city for some reason. I think I was to follow the high school. So I kind of stopped playing rugby from the age of about eight and then got into football. And I love my football. And then I changed schools aged about 11 and went to, to Heriot School and then got and loved rugby straight away. And that took over my preference for football eventually. It was like most people, you played rugby on a Saturday school and then, sorry, football on a Sunday. And then it got to the age where, it got to the age of about 13, 14 and it was rugby in the morning and then trying to play football in the afternoon and I couldn't really do it. And my fondness for rugby took over and then played through school rugby with Heriot School and then joined the former People's Club after that and had four years playing with Heritage FP, a couple of successful ones, and then moved into the professional ranks with Edinburgh Reavers at the time. Okay, so so that, that was your lo- local region. But did you were you involved in any sort of Scotland age grade um, squads by that time, or, or was it did you go straight through like um, into the Edinburgh team from after being a Heritage? No, through through school I played the local representative stuff, and then under sixteen. I played for Scotland under 16 and then had two years with Scottish schools under 18. The second year was was a really good year because we had a four-week tour to South Africa at the end of the season. And that was just amazing. We basically played curtain raisers to South Africa, New Zealand test matches. We played at Bloemfontein, we played at Kings Park and we played at Loftus Versfield as, as curtain raisers to age 17, 18. And as you know, we were seeing the All Blacks in the tunnel before the game and also the South Africans a year after they won the World Cup and rugby was going mad in the country. And it was an unbelievable experience. And for a group of 20-odd 17, 18-year-olds, I'm sure everyone's got really fond memories of the tour. That's amazing. That's, that's it. You, you can see how fondly you're talking about that period now. So you were at Edinburgh for, um, as a professional unit as a, for, for a couple of years, is that right? How, how was that playing for your local region then? It was good. Um, when I when I left school at 17, 18, rugby was just going professional. And halfway through my... I went to university after school and halfway through my second year, I actually got offered a contract with Edinburgh Rugby when there was four regions. But sadly, a month later, they decided to go to the route to two regions. So my contract offer was taken away, which was a bit disappointing. But no, playing for Edinburgh was great. It wasn't... A bigger thing maybe as it is now because football was kind of there and rugby was just a bit new, but there was a bit of a dispute between the clubs and going professional. So many of the local teams, they still wanted the professional players to play for their clubs rather than play for Edinburgh. So there's a few disagreements there. and I wouldn't say everyone agreed with that policy to have the professional clubs, but it didn't take away the pride and joy of playing for Edinburgh. You're playing with guys that you played some with school with but also other guys that you played against week in, week out from the age of 15 or 16, and you now get a chance to work together. And it was a really enjoyable experience. At the time, we were in the Anglo-Welsh League, so we played most of our games in Wales, and every two weeks on a Friday, you'd meet at 8 o'clock and arrive at Newport at 6 o'clock at night after a 10-hour bus trip, and then you play the game the next day, jump straight back on the bus and come back again. (laughs) All, all counter-forming at the back of the bus, I'm sure. So, so when that sort of contract was rescinded, did you then? Is that when you went to Leeds, or is that? Or is that? Did you then? What happened after that then? Yeah, that's right. My two years at Edinburgh was finished, and I, w- I wasn't offered an, another contract there. And the opportunity to go to Leeds Tykes came up, and as I said before, I love my time at Edinburgh. I love my school. My family were there. I thought I'd never leave Edinburgh. 
and then went to Leeds Tykes and it was it was just the best thing I ever did for me personally. It took me out of my comfort zone, go and play with new people, learn about new cultures and Leeds was awesome. Absolutely brilliant. Loved the place as a club, the people, the players and the rugby as well was excellent for me. And, you know, did you think, you know, we'll come to talk about your Scotland career later on, but did you think moving out to Scotland would potentially damage your Scottish prospects? Not really, because I, I didn't have an opportunity to do, to stay in Scotland at the time, so I would have had yeah. to play amateur, and I, I loved rugby and wanted to continue playing it professionally, and there was maybe one or two options there, and I, I went on a Scotland tour to North America with Scotland, and I was unattached at the time, my contract was about to run up with Edinburgh, and I didn't have anywhere to go at the time, it was only during that tour I was making phone calls from Canada hotels to my agent at the time, and we managed to get a deal sorted with Leeds, and Big Phil Davies was in charge and he was excellent with me. He was really, really good with me. He challenged me, occasionally gave me praise and he was brilliant with me. And along with John Callard, I really enjoyed the coaching and uh, we were a pretty, we're two or three successful years down there. But were they in the second tier initially when you started there and, and then they got promotion and then, because you were there for about five years and won the Power Gen Cup. But am, am I right in thinking they were seen as a yo-yo team maybe for a bit and then obviously they had a couple of years in the Premiership didn't they when you were there? Oh no I was very fortunate they were in the Premiership when I arrived the year before I think they'd finished bottom but Rotherham didn't have the stadium requirements That's right yes so they, they were very fortunate to stay up and um, we hit the ground running we had a great pre-season and we ended up finishing fifth that season and qualifying for the Heineken Cup yeah, and then you won the Power Gen Cup a couple of years after that, didn't you? With and something, I believe you manned the match with a couple of conversions, a couple of penalties, which which was which was great, I suppose. So, what were your memories of that day then? It was the last six weeks of that season. We had we were in a semi final of the cup, and we were bottom of the league by eight points, and we managed to win our last four games, a couple with bonus points, I think, and then we beat London Irish and. All the, the guys, I was, the local English guys I was friends with were so excited to go to Twickenham and play. And it didn't really, I didn't really understand it and sunk it until a couple of days later that it was just a huge opportunity as a club to go to Twickenham. And it then sunk in and we went down, we stayed over and it was just great, you know, to play at Twickenham. I'd been there a couple of times, I think, with Scotland and, and been on the receiving end of a couple of whackings. So it was good to go down. We were massive underdogs and... We, we enjoyed that Leeds at the time. We were always kind of underdogs regardless who we played or where we played and we just rolled our sleeves up. I would never say it was the best rugby we, we've ever played. We picked up on a couple of mistakes and um, we took our chances and we probably defended for about 80% of the game. But we had a group that worked and were happy to defend and we went and smashed people we had the chance and we got rewards from it. It was a really hard-working group. And um, it was that last six weeks of that season is something I'll, I'll never forget as a, a rugby player in terms of winning six games together, but also the way we bonded and came together as a group with a desire to make sure that not only did we were successful at Twickenham, but we also we, we stayed in the Premiership for another year at least. So who were the key players uh, you know, at Leeds back then and in, in, that, in that season or who came to the fore for those last sort of six games to, uh, to ensure your success? At the time, we never really had a group of, of massive superstars. Uh, Mark Regan was there. He'd, he'd won the World Cup with England. Uh, the captain, Mike Shelley, had been there for years and years. Tom Palmer played in the second row. We went on to play for England as well. And then in the backs, we had Andre Sneeman, who was a South African international that played for us. And 
And Diego Albanese, mate, was an Argentinian winger we had, and, and they were huge characters. You know, they were all brought together by the management and the squad and the culture we had at Leeds at the time. And uh, we had a lot of fun. We, we worked really, really hard. I, I can't ever remember working that hard in a professional environment. But there was no real big names there. We, we just rolled our sleeves up. Phil Christophers came in in the centre with Chris Bell. They're both young players at the time. And they were outstanding for us. And regardless who they we played, they had no fear. And, and that's something now, certainly as a coach, you're trying to get that message across. Of not, of not having that no fear. And youngsters now seem to be a lot more confident through the, the systems they've come up. And uh, they just go out and enjoy themselves. And someone like Chris Bell was, was a really good example of that. He'd come up from Harlequins, I think, and... He just loved it and he just loved playing rugby and gave him the ball, he'd do whatever he could. That's great to see. It's all about the collective, isn't it? I, I love love stories like that. You know, it's, it's a team, you know, stronger together. It just uh, really, really resonates with me. But um, you left Leeds and there seemed to be quite a few changes uh, at Leeds all at once at the end, I think, 05 or 06. And your next step was to go to France, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Sadly, in 05, 06, at Leeds, we got relegated. And at the time, I was in around the Scotland squad and I was desperate to go to the World Cup the following year. So I spoke to the coach at the time and I wanted to keep playing at a high standard. And I went out to cast and had a year in cast in France, which was interesting. Uh, I probably didn't do enough research about the French rugby at the time. <laughs> there was none of this rugby we get now on, on Sky Sports or whatever channel it's on. And you'd see two minutes of highlights in the French league and you thought, oh, this, this looks magic. But those two minutes of highlights were sometimes the only highlights of wearing a game. <laughs> there were some pretty average games out there and it was a bit different to what I was used to around the England the English clubs and the Scottish setup at the time. I know now it's a lot more professional than it has been. So things are obviously moving a lot further forward in France than they maybe were back then. So, the, so you'd say that sort of the preparation was, was very, very different. And then obviously a lot of people talk about, you know, teams in, at home, you have to win your home games and away they're sort of less bothered. I mean, that seems ridiculous, but did you get that sort of feel when you were there? Very much so. You, you play a home game and most of the local big players were available for that game. The team was announced early in the week who was playing and then you'd have an away game and the team would get announced later and later in the week <laughs> once they realised who was fit and who fancied going sometimes. But uh, there were some good players there and, and some good games and you went to some, some unbelievable stadiums, atmospheres was very, very good, but unfortunately for me at the time, um, in hindsight, it, it probably wasn't the best thing I did. But in saying that, uh, there were some good times out there. But at that stage, in reflection, uh, maybe maybe you should have gone somewhere else. But look, you're Gordon, you know, you, you, you were, um, you know, you're a professional, you need to get paid and, and play the highest level. So you've got, you got to do what you've got to do at the time, haven't you, with the information you had. So uh, it's just, yeah, I just find it fascinating, you know, that because um, there was very little media coverage that you know, people didn't know so much about, you know, what, what they were sort of stepping into really. But who were the sort of, where, where did you finish in, in that in that league? And what's, what were there any sort of French internationals in the Castro squad then? Um, we finished lower half. There was a time we were maybe looking towards relegation, but it never came to that, thankfully. And we had Lionel Nally, the French captain, was there with Pascal Pape in the second rows. They were both there. We had Carol Hoft, uh, the New Zealand prop. He played loose for us. He, he was a really nice guy and a great professional. And then we had a couple of other foreigners and Steve Kepu, Phil Christophers, who was at Leeds. They were in the centres as well. So we, 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 we had some lively people in there. Um, but as I say, unfortunately, we didn't really gel too well that year. 
uh, where, and that was the way it was. But it, it was an interesting, it was an eye opener, and um, it's just a different way of life. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, read a, I read a book by Ben Mercer called Fringes. I don't know, don't know if you've read it yourself, but it's a um, He's a uh, he's played a bit in the championship and that sort of thing, and then wasn't getting any contracts, and then so went to Ruin with Richard Hill, yeah, and and they were like probably like in the f- like at the time fifth division in France, just hearing the sort of st- the stories, you know, at that level. They're now I think in D two now in France, Ruin, so they've they've done quite well across the last four or five years. But just yeah, it's just just the um, the whole sort of uh, French way of life he loved, but the preparation. Even coming from a championship club, he found it's you know a level four and five was just terrible. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And I, I think the the refereeing sometimes assistants are a bit scared of the, the local crowds and foul play was kind of allowed sometimes. So yeah, there was some some interesting games out there, and obviously the lower standard jar, the officiating and etc. The video footage is less and less. So back then players could get away with almost anything, but. I know Richard's Hill team are doing very well now, and the guy Tom Palmer, the lead second row, speaking about earlier, I think he's coaching there, and they're very much on the way up. Oh, great. So, so you, you so you left there after a season, and you went to Saracens, um, and this is the time when I think was Eddie Jones one of the coaches there. Uh, the first year I went, Alan Gaffney was the head coach, and, and he was excellent. An Australian guy. He he spent a bit of time in Northampton also with New South Wales, I think, and Australia, and he was excellent. It's the first time I came across real attack structure and, and, and giving players roles to do and jobs to do and expectations. And, and that was an eye-opener. And it was something I'd maybe not come across before. And he left and Eddie Jones came in for, for the second year, the second season I was there. Mm-hmm. So who were the other coaches with Eddie um, and some of the players you were playing with? Because obviously Saracens have gone on, you know, from then really to, to have obviously a lot of success. Um so it was it was Brendan Venter, Venter there with Eddie. I can't, I can't remember exactly. Brendan Venter came in as a as a consultant and came in and did a few sessions with us. And my, the season I was there, when my second season with Eddie Jones was just around the time that they changed the players a lot and brought in a few more South Africans than they maybe, maybe previously had. But there were some unbelievable players there. They had Kobus Vasaki, South African prop, Census Johnson, who's done really well for Samoa. Chris Jack was there. Uh, New Zealand second row, and then in the back row, Richard Hill was there, World Cup winner. Um, yeah. So now they had some Neil de Cox, the African scrum half was there. Glenn Jackson played ten most of the time ahead of me, and, and he was and acted really, really well for them. There, there was quite a few help. Uh, Brent Russell, a South African um, back three player, was there, but was really unlucky with injuries. And Andy Farrell was there as well. And that second year. We played pre-season, we played Toulon away and they were about to start the championship, but their big team out. Sonny Bill Williams was playing 12 for too long and it was a close game. We ended up winning with 15 minutes to go. Owen Farrell came on at Saracens as a 17-year-old and played centre next to me and he was just going up trying to get in and trying to smash Sonny Bill Williams. That's all he wanted to do for 10, 15 minutes. It was <laughs> unbelievable. And they had a good crop of youngsters coming through and these are the guys that are now being the kind of mainstream of their team for the last 10, 12 years. So obviously you're you're a coach now, but what what you know what can you learn from your time, you know, there with like coaches like Eddie who who obviously with Australia in 03, South Africa in 07, he's gone on to obviously coach England. You know, did you know did you think you were around someone who's had so much success and you could sort of pick it pick their brains for your potential coaching career? I, Eddie was very, very good at 
and talking and, and, and getting you prepared for a game and he didn't do too much on-field coaching, to, to be honest. You know, the guy, Richard Graham, who was there, who's, who's done a lot of good stuff in Australia with some of their super rugby teams. Alex Sanderson was just coming into coaching at the time, who's been very successful there. Paul Gustard was coming through, and so, and so was Andy Farrell. So they were all young coaches getting an opportunity. And it was just around the time coaching kind of changed a little bit. There was obviously in the past, there was a lot of, banging your head against the wall and psyching you up. But there was just different ways of learning. You know, you used to spend hours just going in a room and the coaches telling you what to do. And these young coaches had new ideas to engage players that was maybe nothing about rugby at all. It was just a different way or a different mindset or something to see something in the game. And for me now, and looking back, it was just a way to make meetings more enjoyable and engage players in meetings because these meetings as players know, can last a long time. and You get stuck in these rooms and eventually you switch off. So these young coaches were coming in with different ways of challenging the players and engaging them in meetings as, as best as possible. And do you think, um, do you think that's you know, around that time is when they sort of developed their culture, Saracens? Because you know, everyone talks about their, their culture and how strong it is. And a lot of the players now, even though they're going to be playing in the Championship, decided to, to be loyal to Saracens because they've been so good to them. Um, possibly they can have a, sort of a, a bit of a rest that season before the Lions, but it, either, either way, they decided to stay and be loyal to, to a, a culture that's really helped them develop their game. At the time, the culture they've got now probably wasn't really in place. and It was it was a year after I left where there was a lot of changes around not just staff, but also players as well. There was a huge turnover in players that season. And that, I think, 2009... It must have, must have been the time when I joined London Welsh that Saracens just started to change. They played a very defensive kicking mindset for a year or two to put the defence in place. And over the last 10 years, they've built an unbelievably good attack around their, their robust defence as well. And they've turned into the Champions team that they are from that. No, definitely. So we'll come on to London Welsh in a minute. I just want to talk a bit about Scotland because you've been capped for Scotland you know, 25 times. And, you know, so, I'm play, so playing for your country... You know, it must mean a hell of a lot to you and your and your family. And so, what I wanted to get to is like, do you enjoy do you enjoy playing for Scotland, or when you get when you're an international player, is it, is it more about you know handling the pressure? Yeah, you just kind of get caught in the bubble a little bit sometimes, and when things are going badly, that's you know we had, we had a couple of tough years there under Matt Williams, and then your enthusiasm and energy sometimes to go to sessions or go to camps was tough because you were on the back end of big defeats and you're working as hard as you can to find your way to it, but just sometimes you can't. And then a new voice comes in or a couple of new players come in, youngsters and freshen things up and you're flying again. So it was a, looking back at it, again, it's something when you're at the time, you don't really appreciate how lucky you are looking back in reflection. But I love my time in Scotland. It was really good. Uh, I was very fortunate on debut. For me personally, Chris Patterson got injured a couple of days before, so he couldn't play. So I got to goal kick, and you end up getting a points record tally on debut. It still stands, I think. So I was really <laughs> fortunate. Unfortunately, I didn't play again for another year because Gregor Townsend was fit the following week. And it was one of these things, but it was good times. And I think the last the last year when I was involved around two thousand and six. Frank Haddon had come in and he changed the way we, we played and he played it to suit the players we had. And it was a really enjoyable year. We beat both France and England at home, Italy away, and, and we ran South Africa pretty close as well uh, in the summer tour. And those were good times. And 
around that time, for me, it was around players that I knew had been around for, for, for a numerous amount of years. And you enjoyed it and you enjoyed their company and, and tours became a lot more enjoyable, whereas in the past, sometimes you're a bit young and, and a bit standoffish a little bit. But once you, you kind of grow older and become a lot more comfortable and people and you build rapports that you have over, over a number of years and you, you can enjoy these tours a lot more regardless if it's wet, cold or you're tired. No, that's fair enough. But you, so your caps are spread out over sort of five or six years and you, so you mentioned Gregor. So was he the, sort of the main competition for the number 10 shirt during your sort of time playing for Scotland? He was for the first two years, that's right. Um, and I think eventually I got, I got ahead of him a couple of times, but didn't perform when I got those opportunities, which which was always disappointing. And then for a year or two, I didn't really, I wasn't around when Matt Williams came in. He picked Dan Parks uh, at 10 ahead of me and, and Chris Patterson had a spell at 10. And then once Frank Haddon came back in to, to coach Scotland, that was around the time that Leeds Tykes did well and won the Power Gen Cup and I was playing pretty well at the time so I got selected back in the squad and I had another year with uh, with Frank in charge okay, that's right and so, so you went to the, you went to one World Cup yeah with Scotland is that in the 2003 one yeah I went to Australia there and um, we did an unbelievable preparation in Botanic Gardens for these humid temperatures and I don't think there was one humid day we were there but yeah I played the first game against Japan and we didn't play particularly well we started off very well Scored a couple of early tries, but then it became a bit of an arm wrestle for 40, 50 minutes. And I didn't play particularly well. And I didn't play again during that World Cup, which was disappointing. But rightly so, Gregor came in and played well. And then Chris Patterson played well at 10 as well. So I had my opportunity. And I'll be honest enough to admit I didn't take it and didn't play well enough. And that's professional sport. And I think that's one thing that, from my point of view, I was always quite honest and quite hard on myself as a player. And I knew if I played badly, then potentially I didn't deserve to play the week after. Gosh, it's such a harsh environment. But could you, you know, so even though you weren't involved after that first game, could you still enjoy the Rugby World Cup experience? You, know, you lost to Australia in the quarterfinal. Um, and are you able to enjoy being, you know, away from home with a bunch of, you know, your teammates, but that you're not playing? Yeah, we, we, we did. We did a little bit. There was obviously probably about seven or eight players that didn't play the latter games. I had four of my best mates from school were out in a camper van travelling around, so I caught up with them now and again for bits and pieces, for the odd beer and a coffee here and there, so they took your focus off rugby a bit, and it was nice just to relax, and the other side of the world, hanging out with your friends from school was a bit weird, but uh, no, it was enjoyable from that point of view, very much so. No, that, that's, fair, that's fair enough. No, I, I completely get that. So, moving on to the main part of your career now, Gordon, eh? being at London Welsh. I just remember um, when you signed for us, I, I just couldn't believe we got some of your pedigree coming to join London Welsh. I was, seriously, I don't know if it was felt by other supporters at the club, but um, you know, when you arrived, I thought, flipping heck, you know, this is brilliant. You know, an inst- you know, international, 25 caps, all this sort of thing. So, you know, what attracted you to come to London Welsh? Because we were in the Championship and you'd been at Saracens doing the Prem. And, you know, why did, and did you think you'd actually stay there for the time, length of time that you did? Probably not. <laughs> Originally, I was told in February by Saracens that I wouldn't be getting kept on then. And as all rugby players, an agent trying to find find a job for me or rugby for me and I couldn't get anything and it wasn't until I think mid-August that London Welsh an opportunity came up and by then I was just desperate to play I'd spent 
two, three years between Saracens and Cast being on the bench, playing a handful of games. And I love rugby. My passion was rugby. I just wanted to play. And I thought going to London Wales would be that opportunity. And I didn't really know too much about the club or the players, uh, apart from looking up on the internet and enjoying the fact it was in Richmond as well, which was great. And then I just loved it. I think the first day I was there, we trained against London Irish and just a 15v15 kind of training match, training session. And we did pretty well. And if there was a scoreboard, we certainly would have won. And uh, after a couple of days, you know, it was a really nice vibe. Some good people in there. I knew a couple of people. And it, it, it just kind of grew and grew from there. So when you so it was Steve Lewis who, who sort of got you on board, and then was it? Um, and who was the sort of coach when you started? There was it that was at Danny Wilson's time. Yeah, it was Danny Wilson. They got me in, and and I, and I kind of flew down from Edinburgh and spent a day with that, or spent an afternoon with Danny and Phil Greening at the time. And um, fortunately, they they were happy with with what I said and the, what the opportunity I was given was great. So yeah, they were in charge for the first season and. We did pretty well. We finished top four, I think, and went through that weird playoff um, pattern we had of going in groups of four. And oh, then we, yeah. lost, we lost to Bristol at the Memorial Ground. I think we scored early and we nearly scored again, but they were far too strong in the end. But no, I enjoyed it. And I'll be, I, didn't, I didn't probably play particularly well my first year at London Welsh, in all honesty. It was a bit different than you and I didn't play as well as I'd like to have played. And then the following year... Phil Greening, who was back coach the first year, moved to head coach and forwards coach. And Mike Friday came in and, and enjoy, really enjoyed that second year. And we lost down in Cornwall in the semi final, which seems to be a trend here. Maybe it wasn't my greatest day in the office either. <laughs> but it was one of these things. But again, the club was growing and the, the professionalism every year got better and better in terms of guys' attitudes and. That was a big change I found on arrival. Maybe some of the the attitudes around training and, and the standards we, we needed to set ourselves probably weren't anywhere near what I'd been used to. And that, and that was probably as a senior player with London Welsh was something trying to drive was that sometimes average wasn't good enough. And as a group, we got better and better as, as the years went on. And it was an unbelievable group of people. You know, you had five guys that travelled up from Wales on a Monday morning and, and stayed in a pub stayed in a room above a pub in Isleworth and that was a life they go back to their families at the weekend after games and but the, the boys were pretty close and stuck together pretty well because there wasn't that many people from the London Richmond area so yes London's a huge social bubble but we were pretty close as a team and there were some good times and we were brought together really well by, by Danny and then Phil and it was enjoyable times. So what do you remember those playing days? We'll come on and talk about Lynn Jones in a minute and the, the, the success you had there. Um, but you know, playing at ODP, loads of championship playoff legs, some big crowds for ODP, but it was, you know, there was lots of success to be had. We were a top four club, you know, well established, before we had a big success in 2012. So you know, what, what was that like for you, having obviously been to many different sort of premiership grounds with with Leeds and Saracens, and, but then coming to ODP and just seeing the magic there, really? Uh, at Heriot's, where I, where I grew up and played my club rugby, it, it was kind of similar in terms of the stand. There maybe wasn't that lovely run. And then the suicide steps, wooden steps to get to the changing room with the long studs on. which was <laughs> You'd won the game if you got down there successfully. But it, it was just a nice, a really nice atmosphere. You're always made to feel very, very welcome. Regardless if you won or lost, people were always really happy in the bar afterwards and... 
that was probably something different to what I'd been used to in the last in the two or three years previously. But I think my, my wife Holly and I was came down, was accepting the group, and everyone was just really welcoming, regardless who you were. They made an effort to make you feel welcome and part of the club. And then you see the tradition around the walls and the pictures on the walls and then the people singing afterwards in the clubhouse. It was just a really good experience and some really good people there that helped support that uh, in one way or another. But I just love playing at Old Deer Park. I love playing in those old kind of traditional club pitches. And yes, it wasn't Premiership stadiums at the time, but going out there in December and dogging out of a narrow victory against one of the better teams was brilliant. And seeing how happy the people were when you walked from the pitch to the changing rooms after almost major weekends. They were so pleased to see London Welsh win against, regardless who it was. They loved coming to Oldia Park, as they still do now, regardless what division they are in. And they just want to see London Welsh do well and win as much as possible. And as I say, that kind of anything from a two to five minute walk back to the changing rooms after, if you've done well and seeing how happy people were, was brilliant. And, and you can't take that away from rugby at that level or playing at those stadiums. No, and, and people, the supporters still do that actually, which is which is great to see that you know the choir would be singing on the steps, the players are walking back from the pitch, and the supporters are just chatting away to all the players, and it's just it's just nice to see really, no matter what level what you're playing at. I think it's it's great to see that. So when you move move back to um, 2012 and and that playoff win versus Cornish Pirates, and then the wait to see to the Premiership. What was that like? Because that was that was a great season with Lynn Jones, wasn't it? Um, uh, coaching the team, it was brilliant. It was really good fun, and Lynn had a special way of of coaching and engaging players or motivating them. And there were some unbelievable funny times in that year. But again, very good work ethic within the group, and he challenged groups in the right way. And his management was excellent, and he knew sometimes there was characters that weren't for London Welsh. And they, I think, around February time, you look, we don't need you, all the best type thing, and they still got paid, and they just wanted, he narrowed the group down to what he wanted to have towards the end of the season, and he man managed the group extremely, extremely well. I know there'll be some people that probably didn't like him, and that's natural when when you're a player or a coach, but he was brilliant. You know, he was doing the backs, the forwards, everything for the first few months, and he got people coming to support him. But he headed it all up and his rugby knowledge of teaching the fine arts, shall we say, was exceptional. And it was a massive learning curve for everyone in the room and just something totally different to probably what we'd done previously. So you get promoted after that in that championship playoff and then we're in the premiership. And obviously we get some new players in, um, a lot of them from uh, uh, that, the French team that folded to, to go to, to bulk up our, our front five. We start against Leicester, we lose, then we win a couple of games. You know what? You, know, you, you, know, you I think you started ten. Most it was you and Gavin Henson were our tens when you for that season, but he got injured in pre-season. So you did you start at ten in the first game then, Gordon? Yeah, that's right. We started against Leicester first game, and we were, were quite slow at the blocks. And then we scored a couple of tries, I think, back to back. I think Hudson Tonga we ran through a ruck and scored, and it was and we got tight. But then they pulled away second half, and then the following week, I think we played Quinns. And we got hammered. We got hammered away at Quinns. I think they were very kind to us. We had Leicester at home the first game. Yeah. Who I think got beaten the final the previous year. And then Quinns, who were the champions, the week after, away on a Friday night. So short turnaround, back-to-back games and we were well beaten. But then we won 
two games. We beat Exeter with Ed Jackson scoring late on and, and Seb Kuehl kicking the conversion. And again, we had a short turnaround. We went up to sale on a Friday night and, 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 and hammered them. We won by 10 points. It was unbelievable. And uh, uh, yeah, then we had, we had a couple of good close-run games after that. But after 10 games, we'd won four games. We were sitting quite comfortable in the middle of the division thinking, this is easy. And sadly, we didn't win again for the last game of the season, uh, which was disappointing. Big players got injured. And then around that February, March time, was there was the registration error with Tyson Keats and then you lose to Gloucester by a point and you lose to Sale by a point and you win one of these games and who knows, who knows. Um, I know speaking to Lynn afterwards, I think our last two games were London Irish away in Worcester at home and he thought if we could get to those last two games and needing two wins, we might have been able to pull it out of the bag but it wasn't to be. But it was a great experience. Again, the guys that coached us did a really, really good job with a mixture of players that were has-beens on the scrapyard, youngsters. And and looking back, as I said, at the start, at the start of this, we had Jonah Holmes, who's now a winger for Wales, was playing scrum half at the time for us. So it was, it was a good mix of players and we were brought together pretty well. And, and, and Lynn was excellent for us. And I thought at the time, had Lynn stayed, we would have definitely got promotion again the following year and, and losing Lynn would have been a real, was it, would have been a blow. And it was at the time. Your memory is amazing, Gordon, of all folks. You, you've, you've had a, a long and distinguished career, and so that you remember sort of the finer details and who scored what try on, on what occasion. But as you say, we got relegated and Lynn left, um, and in came Justin. And we interviewed Justin a few weeks ago, and he mentioned you, you, you two and him, you and him are still in close contact. But um, you know, is that, that when Justin came on board, that's when you we, you were made a backs coach or player backs coach. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Lynn pulled me in the year before as, as, and said, would you like to coach? And I said, yes. You know, we, we had a good relationship with Lynn and he, he passed things past me and we sometimes help with suggestions for game plans or ideas for who we're playing next. And, and I was really looking forward to working with Lynn, but it didn't happen. And then Justin came in. I'll be honest, I didn't know too much about Justin at the time. And the Sunday night before the first session, they were, we were going to agree to meet up as coaches just to chat about the following day. And that was maybe at seven o'clock. And during the day, John Mills had a barbecue just to kind of welcome guys back. And so I went there for a barbecue, drove, and the, the conversation was, you know, who do I know about Justin Burnell? And Alex Davies, a little welly, said, oh, well, I've spoken to Gavin Henson, said he's a good coach, uh, good fun, but he doesn't drink anymore. And I was like, okay, fair enough. So that night I met Justin at Old Deer Park He's like, oh, would you like a drink? And I'm like, he doesn't drink. I've got my first day at work tomorrow. I'll just a black cunt of orange, please. And he gave me this look as though I'd just done something horrifically bad and gave me this soft drink. And he had about four pints. And I realised then that he did still drink. So, uh, But no, Justin was brilliant. And we had some really good times together. And, you know, he brought a really good culture in. Like most London Wales coaches, there's a lot of new players come in during the year and the focus was just working hard and we get a reward and that was a mindset for that season and, and that's what happened and I think we played I think we played Bedford first up and should have hammered them but had a stinking game kicking and then after that we won I think we won the first eight or nine games pretty comfortably and we played some really good stuff we hammered Bristol at home it should have been 30 points and it ended up being I think 22-7 or 22-10 we won and didn't get a bonus point and Justin gave me a bollocking afterwards 
because the backs missed numerous opportunities. So I think that was the first time we, we crossed words, but it was one of very few times, you know, we got on well and we knew what we wanted as a group and, and the boys delivered as well for us. So, so obviously we beat Bristol home and away in the playoff final, and we've spoken that in, in, in previous pods. Were you were you playing in both those? You played in both those matches, didn't you, Gordon? Yeah, that's right. I played about the first um, ten or twelve games, and had a bad game. I think the first game we lost was all against London Scottish at home, um, just before Christmas, and a terrible game, and got rightly dropped. Um, so, well, it was quite easy before then. I just picked myself every week, but I had to drop myself that week, so that was a little bit tougher. But it was also Christmas. And Justin was organising these good parties for the staff. So I wanted to make sure I could join the staff for these nights out. So I just pulled away from the playing side for a few weeks. And then I came back in January, but then I took a bang on the neck. So I was pretty fortunate. I missed January, February, March through injury and then came back in April. So I was pretty fresh. I think I played maybe one or two league games and then and then played in the playoff games against Leeds and then against Bristol. So and I really enjoyed those games against Bristol. I think the games against Leeds before were unbelievable in terms of the quality of rugby, not defensively, but certainly attack. And they, and they were really good adverts for the championship in terms of good young players coming through, teams playing really good rugby and playing in a positive in a really positive way. Now it's amazing that Leeds game because I was at that game and I think just remember the the, the lead changing hands quite a lot. And I think, did you get a drop goal or something? Or, and your kicking was quite important for us going through to the final. I had a terrible game, terrible days kicking in the semi-final. I missed loads. What, at, at, at the Kassam? yeah. I missed four out of nine and then had an easy kick in front of goal more or less and only just got it. And we went ahead from there. And then I think we lost the kick. We knocked on from the kick. I think we knocked, I think we lost, we knocked on from the kickoff and they tried to set up for a drop goal. I never got it. We got scrummed at one solo. I didn't kick particularly well in the, in, the, in the second leg of the semi-final. Sadly, we could have been out of sight and had I kicked any better, but it wasn't to be. And I think the man that I was playing against is now an English international, Alex Lozowski, who's at Saracens. Yeah, uh, he came on. He came on and kicked really, really well for them. And kicked a few huge goals that got them ahead. But we were, I think, we were maybe down to fourteen men at one point and, and, and twelve points behind on aggregate, but. As always with London Welsh, we dug in and we scored a couple of unbelievable lengths. I think they scored and from the kickoff, we kept the ball for about 10 phases and scored to, to take the lead. So um, it was brilliant. It was a hot, sunny day at the Kassam on a Sunday and uh, we put some unbelievable stuff as a team in the gorgeous sunshine. And then we prepared to play a lot of rugby against Bristol who were going around at the time saying how good they were in attack and what they were going to do. But in the games we'd played previously against them, we'd outscored them by about 12 tries to, to eight or nine. And that was never mentioned. And then we were spoken about how the rain played into our hands and all this stuff. So uh, that was not, not no pun intended. It was water off a duck's back. We knew everyone thought Bristol were the best. And I think, as Justin said in the pod, we were probably not respected uh, as much as other teams might have been. And we just went out in our own quiet way and did a job on them. Did an absolute job on them. And when the rain, we had our tactics and we spent weeks preparing all these moves. And Tommy May was the captain at the time and he was absolutely brilliant for me as a coach and also for the group. And we just said, we're just going to kick the ball as far as we can today and chase it as hard as we can and see what Bristol have got. And we ended up doing that for two games. And it wasn't the way we wanted to play. But as a group, we adapted to the conditions better than Bristol did. 
and we deserve to be in the Premiership afterwards on the back of that. 100% Gordon, absolutely right. We deserve to be there. And what and, and in that prem, you, is that when you left then to go to Worcester after that season or did you did you stay with Justin in the Premiership and did you retire as a player or did you continue to play some games in the Prem for London Welsh? I retire, I unofficially retired from playing to concentrate on the coaching. But sadly, we had a couple of knocks and obviously results didn't go our way. So Justin found a way of giving me a gentle nudge and told me I was playing in a couple of weeks' time get fit. So that was the way it was. And because it was unbelievable because the boys trained so well and the optimism around each game was great. And then we, we couldn't compete at that level. Regardless who we played against, we struggled to compete for whatever reason. So I came back, played a couple of games and enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. And then I got injured just before Christmas up in Edinburgh in one of the European games. And a couple of weeks later, my, my first child was due. And it's like, I, I don't need to be putting my body through this now. We're probably not going to survive the way the things are going. Let's concentrate on the coaching and try and look after the body to play with children at a later point rather than playing with men who want to fill me in. <laughs> so did you so you so retired then and then you, you continued coaching London Wells to the end of the season yeah I stayed on to the end of the season and the, for three seasons before I started coaching or the sorry the season before I started coaching at London Welsh I helped coach at Blackheath so I carried on coaching them once a week and then they got short of players towards the end of that season they're like would you like to play and just help us out and I was like yeah of course I'd love to do that because Blackheath is an unbelievable club, lots of really, really good people, very convincing about playing, and I've played three games. And a bit like France, in hindsight, I regretted it. I didn't enjoy it at all. I was ultra-competitive and, and just been a bit silly. So, But there we go. It, it was nice to play for Blackheath because they were excellent, very supportive of me um, as, a, as a coach, as a young coach coming through. But, yeah, I shouldn't have played those last three games for them. But there we go. It's uh, one of these things. Then I retired from then. I've, since then, I've played a couple of I think I've played a couple of charity games as well, which is sometimes been fun. But again, the day after, it's too sore, even for me making one tackle a game. So trying to keep my distance from there as much as possible. And so it was after that then you went to Worcester, isn't it? After that prem, uh, the prem season, and then yeah, you just and then yeah, had four or five years of Worcester, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I left after Tavi London Welsh went down and then I had five years at Worcester. I really enjoyed it there. I wasn't really too sure about the role I was going into. I knew a few people there and it was great and I really enjoyed it there. And, and it's like anything, the more you're in a role, the more you learn and, and how you should do things. And there were some really good kids coming there. They've got an outstanding academy system there, like most English clubs have. And the opportunity now for young players, if they get to that elite level, is superb. And um, I really enjoyed it. But at the same time, you want to be around that senior group. And I'm really, really grateful to, to Dragons for giving me this opportunity. And hopefully things will go well down there. And hope and hopefully you're helping the Welsh superstars fulfil their, <laughs> their, their potential in uh, Pro 14 rugby so they can um, you know build on their uh, sort of success and um, help our international team go from strength to strength, which is, which is great. So thank you, Gordon, for doing that. <laughs> yeah, absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. But I, I should say, obviously, I think Justin said it as well in, in his podcast that around the two years that I coached, the staff, unbelievable. I think the facilities at London Welsh were obviously not where you'll get some premiership clubs, but nobody moaned. We just came in and did it. The players worked their backsides off and the staff in some of those conditions, Ryan Campbell, the elders in, in strength and conditioning and, and, and Chris Jenkins from the physio work, 
you know, they did a, a superb job and it was a huge part of London Welsh being successful. As well as the effort from the players was the staff. They just came in and they didn't care where we were. They just came in and did our work and enjoyed it. And um, I think Peter Lowe um, took me to the darkest corner of every changing room of every stadium in London, or in, in England, sorry, wherever the most awkward position to get change was. That's where the number 10 strip went when I played. So... Um, he was very good to me sometimes and he, he's an outstanding man and uh, he's done a lot of um, brilliant things for the club to keep it going. Um, but I'll never forgive him for some of the places he used to put me. Well, he listens to this and we'll let him know because he's, he's still helping out the team as is Ted Wynn as well. So. Yeah, yeah they've still got their vana here and uh, I go to Cheltenham every year with Pete Lowe and we have a great catch-up and he, he's been an outstanding man, obviously, for, for the club and, and also his role with the cricket as well. Um, he's not very good at tipping horses, but um, he's a very good man for London Welsh, and they're very lucky to have him. Yeah, no, we are indeed. We are indeed. Look, it's been brilliant talking to you about your your rugby career. But before we go, do you have a message for our supporters and players about about your time with the club? <laughs> Look, I, I love my time at the club, and, and sadly, like most things, when you move on, you don't really get an opportunity to, to say thank you as, as you'd like to do. But they were very supportive, not just to me, but my family members would come down and watch and they were always made feel very welcome. I remember when we beat Cornish Pirates at the Kassam to win the to win the playoff, my mum had come down to surprise me and I got into Old Deer Park and she was just sitting in a big chair with drinks all round her and she'd be made feel very well welcome, along with my wife who would go to the Kassam on the supporters bus sometimes if, if she couldn't get her own way there. And she was always made feel very, very welcome by the London Welsh family. And I, I think that's the important thing is it is a family at London Welsh. And I was very much made to feel really a huge part of that. And if it wasn't for a lot of that support, there was no way I would have enjoyed the time as much as I did uh, down at Old Deer Park. No, that's great to hear. And actually, we haven't spoken about Kai Griffiths yet because he is now our director of rugby. And so you pl- you'd have played with him in that season with Justin Burnell a successful season in the Championship. Did you envisage Kai being a coach at, at those times? Never. Never. But no, I'm delighted that he's doing such a good job for the club. I've, I've not seen or spoken to Kai in a long time. But during... In, well, you might not find this interesting, but during Kai's first year at Welsh, he was injured, I think, and coming back for injury, there was him, Reese Crane and James Tignall who were loaned out to Blackheath in the um, National Championship at the, uh, National League One. And these guys would come Every Thursday, I'd pick them up, we'd drive across, they'd play the games, they'd do the socials with the Blackheath boys, and they were absolutely brilliant. And Kai bought into that. He wanted to play for London Welsh, obviously, same with other lads, but he was excellent. He really brought into the, the culture and the sides' behaviours, both on and off the pitch. And he's obviously taken that through his rugby career, and he's now doing a, an unbelievably good job at London Welsh. And long may it continue... He's probably the shortest second row in London Welsh history, but um, he needs to get back to that front row, I think. But he's doing a brilliant job and it's great for the club. And, and having people like Kai in there for both on and off the field activities is excellent. And that was something Kai was very, very good at. And uh, as I say, it's brilliant to see him doing well. And obviously, important, more importantly, the club are doing really, really well around him as well. Oh, great stuff. Well, thank you, God. Look, thank you very much for your time, God. It's been great to talk to you. Please come back to Oldie Park and visit everyone when you can. If it's the Nipok Wen Dragons pre-season friendly in 12 months' time, we'll take it. But come back and come and say hello to everyone. It's been good talking to you, God, and thank you very much. Thanks very much, Gareth. Much appreciated. And uh, hopefully I'll get down to Oldie Park in the, in the near future. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Wasn't that great? Gordon's recollection of his career and his honest self-appraisal was fascinating to hear. He has played with some top clubs in the UK and was so honest about how rash he was in taking the job in France, but he always turned the experience into a positive. As he forges his coaching career, he has learned from some of our great coaches at the club, plus Eddie Jones at Saracens. We now watch with interest how we get to Dragon's backline firing across the next few years. Please keep sharing this podcast to fellow London Welsh members and other interested parties. It is all appreciated. Next week's guest is club's back coach and current Ealing Trail Finders player, Steve Shingler. Until next time, take care.